Welcome to Gesundheit with Jacobus, Health Talk Radio, integrating allopathic and all-natural medicine one show at a time. Here is your host, Jacobus Hollowine. And good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. It's nice to have you with us today. Very interesting topic. Hopefully you uh, follow directions and stay to bed a little longer. Uh, it's going to be uh, one of those. Well, Chuck had to get up and he is uh, regretting it right now that he couldn't stay in bed. But we are talking about health, healing and healthy lifestyles. We do it every Saturday morning from 8 to 11 with the experts. Give them a chance to chat about their field of study or a topic of their choice. In the studio with me on my right-hand side is Chuck Martell. Chuck, good morning to you. Good morning, Jacobus. Thanks so much for being here. Of course. You wouldn't want to miss this one. Uh, Of course. You don't want to miss anyone. That's right. That's right. That's awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And it looks like everything is uh, spick and span, clean, organized. Uh, The music is all tuned up. It's uh, it's amazing uh, what a couple extra minutes of showing up in the studio can do for a man's brain and heart. Just amazing. Just amazing. Yeah, thank you. So as we are talking about topics of health, healing, and healthy lifestyles, as always, we remind you that we're not here to diagnose, treat, or cure. We're here to entertain and educate and inform give you information that may be helpful in your quest for better health, body, mind, or spirit. If you have any other questions after the show that you couldn't address today between 8 and 11, then I uh, suggest you see a professional of your choice, somebody uh, you trust, and read up more information in books and magazines and on the internet by reputable writers. So there is lots of information available about all the topics that we discuss on these programs. And um, so there is always room to move, room to grow. We hope you do that as well. So having said all that, folks, uh, so much, thank you so much for tuning in to Gesundheit with Jacobus. I'm your host, Jacobus Holloway. And with me as a guest beside with us, I should say, with Chuck and I, is Dana Mikkel. Dana has been on a few years ago. We had actually about five years ago, Dana, believe it or not, you were on the show talking about autism. We did a, we did a show with three or four people in the studio. It was kind of busy over here. Today, we're going to hit a slightly different topic, I should say. And Dana, let me tell you a little bit about Dana. He is a licensed clinical professional counselor in private practice in Bozeman, has 15 years extensive experience working with adolescents and families. Dana also works with adults and couples. He has nearly completed his psychoanalytic certification. Today, his practice is focused largely on on in-depth or long-term treatment of severe mental disorders. And more recently, Dana Mikkel has started to direct more interest towards the dynamics of intimacy and desire in relationships. Now, his office is right here in Bozeman. It is on uh, at 1648 Ellis Street, Suite 302, 1648 Ellis Street, Suite 302. And you can reach him by phone. His office number, Dana Mikkel's office is 587-8775. Dana, it's good to have you back in the program. Good morning, Jacobus, and thank you for having me here. And Chuck, thank you for coming down so early in the morning. Well, you're welcome. We have a topic on hand uh, that I've had a few people already uh, tell me they were definitely going to listen and said, oh boy, that sounds like an interesting topic. And so sex, I would say, is on a lot of people's minds. Maybe not 24-7, 
but definitely on people's minds. And it is often a, uh, it, 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 I mean, I can start a whole monologue about what I, what I see around me, but that's not what we want to do. We are bombarded with images at the same time. Talking about sex, talking about intimacy is taboo for people. They, they, they don't want to offend anybody else in public by talking about sex. It is a private matter, but at the same time, we are exposed to it on a regular basis through advertising, through music, words they're using in music today, uh, very much into intercourse, sexual behavior, a certain freedom, a certain release of, 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 of energy, of desire. And, um, I thought this would be, when you, when you talk to me about this, I thought this is a great topic uh, to talk about, to actually give some clarification and help for many people to understand it better. Well, Jacobus, you're right. It, it's one of the uh, universal human experiences. Um, we are all sexual creatures, and um, in one way or another, we're going to express that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so hopefully this morning we can talk a little bit about you know, approaching these issues of sexual health, intimacy, and desire, um, take a look at how they work and how they don't work, mm-hmm. um, and see if we can just help think about these things in, in, a, in a healthier, uh, more helpful way. Yeah. Um, and I, you're right, you know, I believe that we think of ourselves as a very uh, sexy culture in the sense that we're bombarded with these images everywhere we go. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I, I remember seeing some statistics on the number of sexual images that we're confronted with on a daily basis and it's quite astounding um and yet despite that despite that presentation that we run into everywhere um i would i would suggest that our society is more sexually uh, inhibited than it is healthy um it's pretty rare in our culture to be able to encounter uh healthy informative um information in regards to sexuality yeah um so, and, yeah. and and I have to say that as far as the information education is concerned, more and more we're talking about uh, sexual sex education in schools. And uh, this this week, actually, things were being written about uh, something that's going on in Helena. The schools over there have made some decisions about sexual education over there, and that is to some people controversial and apparently. It has drawn national attention. It was on national TV as well, I think on CNN, and uh, it might even have been on Fox News. So obviously, adults are concerned about the children getting the correct education. Children are exposed to it probably more than many adults are thinking that they're exposed to it. We, we, We want to protect our children. And so many children grow up being maybe not correctly prepared and may have a, a sexual experience that may not be very positive right away the first time. That's why we see so many unwanted pregnancies. Well, yes, I mean, it brings up the question, and one of the things that I want to talk about this morning is just the very way that we think about sex, sexuality, and how we engage it. Mm-hmm. Um, when you <clears throat> Very often when we talk about sex education and that sort of thing, we start to talk about you know, the mechanics of sex, we start to talk about body parts, we start to talk about sexually transmitted infections and, and, and birth control and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And although that's all very important information, um, that's not what I'm going to be focused talking about this morning, because I want to talk about 
what is the nature of healthy sexuality in relationships? Um, how does that develop? How does that fade? Um, and hopefully we can get to talking a little bit about um, the things that can be done to, to help sustain relationships over an uh, mm-hmm. extended period of time. So just to ex- expand the concept of sex and get away from the body part sort of thing and start to think about it as a an experience that touches the entire human soul, that it's not just a physical experience. Yeah. Um, but it's what you might want to call a sensual experience, one that is emotional, it's physical, it's spiritual, um, and it covers a large part of the life that we live from just touch, um, being touched, touching another person, uh, getting a hug. And there's all kinds of different hugs. You can hug your child in one way and you would hug your partner in a different way and they would mean different things. Yeah. Um, and so all the way from just a, a casual touch to, to passion and desire and wanting, you know, in a very, uh, you know, physical sense. Um, I mean, just the very question, is this a good thing? You know, is it a good thing uh, to be sexual and to have these desires? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what place does this have in, in the whole, you know, human experience? Um, so just a few things. Uh, put a few ideas out there to start to, you know, perhaps have a few different ways to think about this. There is an old notion. Um, it goes all the way back to Freud, the idea that there's, uh, a biological drive to sexuality, that there is a fundamental, um, procreative, you know, biological part to this that, and I mean, sexuality does further the species, does, you know, create offspring. And that's certainly a part of it. And I think that it's important to accept that there's a drivenness to sexuality. We are going to express our sexuality in one way or another. Um, but I think if we stop there and we think of that as, uh, Anywhere near the totality of what it's all about, we're gonna we're gonna miss really important things because sexuality has so much meaning and it is so central to relationships. Um, mm-hmm. It involves, I think, what is universally human in the sense of, of a ultimate longing for connection to others and for for meaning in sexual behavior. Um, we long for intimate connections of the body, the mind, the heart, and the spirit. Um, and these intimate connections are really central to the human experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is indeed, you know, when, when I listen to you, I'm, I'm thinking about, for example, old movies. And I think how my, my parents used to behave in public, in the home, very uh, respectful of each other, uh, very polite, not a lot of touching going on in public. Uh, today we see a lot more... PDA, public di- public display of affection between people. Uh, there is, uh, for some people, there's absolutely no shame to just start hugging and kissing in uh, in public. My parents were never that way. I don't know uh, how far we back we can go. There is this innate instinct, as you mentioned, to well, there is a certain attraction. Uh, but if you even if you go back to literature, if you look at uh, the old French literature from the Middle Ages, it's very rough. It's very, women didn't have a lot of respect in men's, uh, in, in men's lives. Women were almost like a second, uh, second, what do you call it, a second string. In the English literature, you see there is a lot more 
respect for the woman uh, the woman uh, the, she would drop a handkerchief and the, the 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 knight would pick it up and wear it around his arm as he goes to battle and there was this tremendous respect for her then all of a sudden we see so there's different cultures different behavior as far as uh, the relationship between men and women it seemed like in the old english literature it was all more about softer in the french literature it was more harsh and and rough then I look at my parents and I see there is a lot of respect and there was no talk about sex. There was, it was very private, very pure, very Catholic. We were raised Catholic. All of a sudden you see my generation grows up and you see the sixties and the seventies and everything is opening up and it seems like we have to swing the pendulum a whole other way. Then I see again, there's a little bit more, uh, we're a little bit more careful in society. And now all of a sudden it is a, uh, with the music that's out today, there is a lot of talk. It's all about getting together and, 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 and so much about relationships. Most songs are about relationships. And so there is this, there is this indeed this instinct in people that were always thinking about the, a partner, about the other sex, about, uh, about intimacy, etc. But as a culture in behavior, it's, it's, I think it creates confusion. Maybe it's already confusing what I'm telling you right now. <laughs> well, it- you brought up a number of really important points and you've, you've, you've raised the, the, the subject of politics and sex. If you, you know, the politics of gender, mm-hmm. uh, the politics of the <clears throat> male and female, which is, you know, just from the first time that, you know, we stood upright, this has been going on. And, you know, I, I didn't come prepared today to really talk about the political aspects, but in, and you're getting a little bit ahead of me, but, Yes, look at all the the, sub, the things that you brought up, the meanings and, yeah. and, and the values, yes, um, and, the, and the different significance that is is placed on sexuality. Um, when you mentioned the songs and the music, I had the thought that, well, in, a, in what I hear in the music today, there's a lot of talk of sex, and yet I would say it's it's sex outside of relationship in the music. You know, it's sex isolated. Um, I see. Uh-huh. Today, ah, that's a great point. I was hoping to talk about sexuality in relationships. Yes. Um, not that, uh, and not to suggest at all that uh, sex outside of a relationship is, is problematic in any way. Um, but um, just, that's not what I came in to talk about today. Um, no, but I think that's a great observation and comment. But the politics isn't mm-hmm. always there. I think in, in any relationship, in any sexual dynamic, there are, there are the politics is the politics of, of control. Um, so yes, that, that's a huge subject and it has changed, um, through the generations. And I think that the changes that we see taking place today, uh, in some ways they're healthy and in other ways they're problematic. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a, I like that. So, so again, in casual sex, we're going to have something quite different going on. But when we talk about sexuality in relationships, yes, um, I think of it as not that this it, it is the biggest part of a relationship, but it, it is at the core mm-hmm. that it is central. Um, the word I like to use is it's it's so symbolic. Um, if you will, it, it, it's the place where the flame of the relationship is held and kept, if it can be kept. Um, it's the place where uh, nurturance and sustenance comes from. I see. Mm-hmm. So when we look at a couple, when we look at a relationship, and if we see that there is a healthy sexual 
vibrant relationship in that couple, mm-hmm. it's almost impossible to also have a couple that doesn't have a healthy relationship in other areas of their life. So, okay. um, mm-hmm. this is important. There's a lot of meaning to it. When we, when we engage in sexuality in a relationship, um, it's very emotional. It's relational. Um, we attach a lot of meaning to it. Um, it affects all parts of our life, our, our sensitivity, our love, our commitment, our self-esteem. Um, and I also think it's important to understand that when we get into a, an intimate relationship, that we engage a part of our soul that otherwise um, we never encounter. Um, that that part of us that relates intimate, intimately, that allows uh the self to, to give and receive pleasure, um, to expose oneself to another person, um, that intimacy brings vulnerability to it. It brings risk. Um, and it, it just it involves a commitment and a sensitivity um, that otherwise we just don't have to deal with. So when we, when we venture into relationships, we are venturing into a difficult ground and we are encountering parts of our soul that otherwise... Um, we just we just don't encounter and we don't right. have to deal with right huh and so um yeah this vulnerability this this uh, activity that's so loaded with meaning mm-hmm. um, where we bring our bodies and our souls and, and we share them and we um, we risk being hurt um, it's just very important stuff and it's it's got a lot of energy t- to it and um, it's real important to our health and well-being yes yeah I like that and Folks, uh, folks, I uh, just want to let you know, Dana Mikel is a licensed clinical professional counselor. He is my guest today on Gazuntide with Jacobus. If you are tuning in just uh, now, we are talking about uh, sex and intimacy, sensuality, erotic desire, especially as it is related to long-term relationships. Okay. Uh, thank you. Um, so... Um, so in relationships, when we, we engage another person and become intimate and become vulnerable, um, this is a place that is full of the possibility of things not only going well, but things going wrong. I see. Um, and so, uh-huh. again, when we, we take this on and we enter into relationships, it is a challenging process. Um, why is it so? Well, we bring into relationships and our, our sexual attitudes, um, what our values are around sexuality, what the meanings are, um, what our history is, if you will. Um, we also have models and expectations. Um, by values, I mean, well, when you were talking earlier, Jacobus, and talking about you were brought up Catholic. Well, that comes. The Catholic Church teaches certain values around sexuality. Yeah. And so, as you go through life, um, and I find this true of most Catholics, you know, you carry this with you. Part of the the value that that you put in in sexuality comes from that background, um, and we all have some sort of background. Absolutely. And you know, it's important. It's not important. It, you know, um, meanings. You know, for some people, uh, sex is extremely meaningful in terms of uh, self worth and self esteem. Um, for other people, it, it, it's about closeness and intimacy and being connected. But we do. We bring meanings, different meanings uh, mm-hmm. to our embrace of sexuality. We bring a history. Mm-hmm. Um, 
including the childhood history of learning about ourselves and our bodies and, and learning that boys and girls are different. And I mean, all those things that we go through, yeah. um, to our own experiences of our first kiss, mm-hmm. you know, our first embrace, our first encounter with the, with the other gender or, or whoever our object of desire is. And, um, these all affect, these all make up our attitudes about sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have models, primary models being our parents. We watch them yeah. carry out a relationship and we saw how it worked. Yes. And for many, many years, that was the one model that we had that we mm-hmm. could observe. And we got to know it very, very closely mm-hmm. in great detail. Yeah. Um, we should also- probably take a short break here, go to the commercials. And then when we come back, we'll we'll hit on this topic again. Very right. good. Folks, you listen to Gesundheit with Jacobus. Dana Mikkel is my guest. We are talking about sex and intimacy in long-term relationships. We hope you're enjoying the program. Hope you're enjoying your day and you'll stay with us till 11 o'clock. We'll be right back. How do we think about sex? Is that fair to say, Dana? Yeah, Jacobus, when we had to go to break there, we were talking about... Um, how each and every one of us bring to our relationship lives, to our sex lives, values, meanings, histories, yeah. uh, models, and expectations. Um, so it is important how we think about sexuality um, because how we think about it shapes how we engage it. Um, you know, if we have a real narrow view of sexuality, um, then that is going to shape how we engage it. If we have a very broad view of it, um, you know, that's likewise going to have an impact on our sexual lives. Um, So all these things together, values, meanings, history, etc., they make up our sexual attitude. And what I would like to suggest that in most cases, um, we all would benefit from taking a a long look at our sexual attitudes and reassessing those. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so anyway, just to get started and, and to think about this a little bit, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about you know this idea of healthy sexuality. I mean, if there's such a thing as healthy sexuality, then there must be something that's not healthy. Oh, I see. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I am <clears throat> I am not putting forth any truths or anything like that here, but simply putting out some different ideas about how to think about this, how to challenge our sexual attitudes, um, how to take a look at them, to reassess them. Um, so to start with, and again, this is just my opinion, uh, I thought it might be easiest for me to spell out what I would say is not healthy sexuality. Okay. And, and it's, very, it's, it's fairly narrow. Um, and the idea for me is that um, when someone's getting hurt, then, then it's unhealthy. When we're involved in sexual activity where someone is unwillingly being hurt, then this is unhealthy. Um, and for me, um, what we're talking about when this is happening is, is we're talking about um, perversion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just going to read really quickly from Robert Stoller in his book, Perversion, the Erotic Form of Hatred. Um, wow. And he writes that um, the perverse act is a desire to harm others. Perversion, the erotic form of hatred, is a fantasy usually acted out. It is a habitual, preferred uh, sexual behavior that is aberrant but necessary for one's satisfaction. And it is primarily motivated by hostility. By hostility, I mean a state in which one wishes to harm the other. Um, so, the book is written by who? Do, uh, Robert who? Robert Stoller. He's written... How do you spell Stoller? S-T-O-L-L-E-R. 
Stolen. He's written wow. a number of books on sexuality, gender, and uh, that's a subject. that's an interesting. That's a powerful statement. Well, it is a powerful the statement. Erotic form of hatred. Wow. Yes. Huh. Um, that yeah, the, the the sexual desire and the sexual impulses that they they turn hate hateful in many instances yeah. And, yeah. and become very destructive. Yes. Um, this drivenness of sexuality can take on. You know, beautiful creative forms that can also take on very ugly, destructive forms. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so if someone's getting hurt, in my mind, that's unhealthy. And it's unhealthy because someone's sexual rights are being violated. And, mm. and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But again, just to get back to this idea of our sexual attitudes, um, if, if you will, they define our sexual comfort zones. And what I mean by this is, you know, inside our set of values and our opinions, um, there's there's a comfort zone where we, we are comfortable thinking about sexuality within this certain perimeter, and we're comfortable with these particular sexual behaviors. Right. Um, when we're inside our comfort zone, you know, we're we're we're, we're locked into our sexual attitude. Um, however. I think that we need to challenge this a little bit, and we need to step back and reassess this. Um, because sometimes to have a healthy sexual relationship, you're going to need to challenge your, your comfort zones around these things, uh, and you're going to need to grow. Um, so again, the idea of sexual attitudes needing to be reassessed and taking a look at, I think, is really important. What do I mean by this? Well, let's just throw out a few words here, um, and hopefully to sort of get a sense of how as we sort of move outside of a comfort zone, you know, different feelings come up. You know, if I bring up the word heterosexual, um, for most people, that's that's going to be comfort zone. Sure. Um, now, if I bring up the word homosexual, mm-hmm. I think, you know, the comfort zone starts to be different. There are some people who are not comfortable and some people who are. Right. Um, if I bring up the word <clears throat> bisexual, that might even further start causing um, changes in people's comfort zone, you know, um, to actually think about a person being uh, bisexual, um, words gay, lesbian, I mean, even nudity, um, people have comfort zones. Some people might very well walk around their bedroom um, nude um, and be perfectly comfortable. Uh, Another person wouldn't think of coming out of the bathroom after a shower without their robe on. So, and these are all these are all sexual attitudes, and then they they impact uh, and have an effect on how we behave and how we engage other people, and whether we are having a healthy, pleasurable sexual experience. But of course, within a relationship, if people are not comfortable walking around in a nude, then that's okay. If both of, both of them have it, then it's not right or wrong. It is just that you are expressing. The, the differences that we the nuances that we can find in comfort comfort zone in the comfort zone right and and wanting to point out that um, sexual attitudes are highly individualized and they're different for different people so that uh, to understand the idea that sex and sexuality is a very different subject for different people um, and no you're absolutely it is not a question of right or wrong right um, it's it's a question of being able to stop and look at, well, this is a reflection of my attitude. This is a reflection of a value that I have. I and play- within relationships that could complement each other or it could, uh, it could be offensive to some people. It could be uh, not offensive, it could be opposite. Uh, well, you, you hope to find something in a long-term relationship that is complementing you or that is in your comfort zone, right? 
Actually, I, I think that there is a process whereby couples actually build their um, their comfort zone collaboratively. All right. Um, it goes something like this. When a couple first meets, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of, if you will, um, investigating the other person, finding out the other person's values, mm-hmm. uh, belief systems. When we're really attracted to another person, you know, we want the relationship to go well. We want to please them. And so we're very, if you will, cautious in the beginning. And we pay a lot of attention to what doesn't please the other person and what does. This happens not just in, you know, from table manners to, you know, how we talk to one another. But as the relationship develops, there is a, um, if you will, a, a, a searching out and the feeling out of what our partner is comfortable with sexually. Um, what happens is that one of the things that can happen is that there's a, what's called a process of elimination whereby as we experiment with our partner sexually oh that's not something that he or she enjoyed oh that's something that they did and so through a process of elimination we establish the comfort zone Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The things that are that that we do and we engage in and we're comfortable with, they're in the comfort zone, and right. then these other things, by a process of elimination, are are, are ruled out. So, it is not a question of um, you know having a right or a wrong attitude, but when a in a long term relationship, when a couple does confront some intimacy and desire difficulties, which I'd like to suggest is inevitable. That's when these things become important, when sexual attitudes are important, because it most often becomes necessary to to reassess these views and to take a look at them. For instance, it may be a a cooperative decision a couple makes that, uh, you know, walking around nude um, is not something that we do. Okay. However, uh, in efforts to sustain and promote intimacy and desire, um, you know, a reassessment of nudity might become something that the couple needs to do. I see. Uh-huh. In order to promote their own intimacy and their own uh, physical connections, um, this taboo, if you will, on uh, nudity might be something that is inhibiting uh, the sexual relationship, might be something that is preventing growth and development in the relationship. Right, right. Yeah, that is, uh, I like that. that that's, that's very clear. Um... So, yeah, and that's why the sexual attitudes are so important, um, to be able to look at them and, and see how we make meaning. Because I would like to suggest that in any relationship, there's, there's going to be there's going to be difficulties. You know, it starts off with the romantic stage, and there's, a, there's even a lot of neuroscience that explains how when we're romantically involved in the beginning, there's a certain part of our brain that's activated, and when <clears throat> we settle down into a, a longer-term relationship, there's other parts of our brain that are engaged, in, and anyone who's, you know, gone through that process understands that, boy, relationship really does change, and it yeah. grows, and there, yeah. it has different yeah. aspects and different challenges to it as time goes by. Yeah. So, it might be helpful to think that a relationship, a long-term relationship, is going to have difficulties, is going to encounter gridlock, is going to suffer some sexual difficulties. And it's, it's not a question of if that is going to happen, but rather how does the couple engage and manage that and work through it or not um, in order to sustain and maintain their relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, and when we get into these struggles and we need to work through these things, um, having an understanding of sexual attitudes and, um, and again, this process of elimination, process of, um, yeah, the process of elimination where we get down to what's acceptable um, may need to be broadened. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we were talking before the program about the, uh, the rate of divorce and the rate of where people just don't seem to be able to work things out. And uh, you mentioned too, often it, 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 it could, uh, not often, it could very well have to do with the way that uh, they look at intimacy and sensuality and how people connect or not connect physically that causes relationship problems. When I go back again to my parents, because obviously that is the uh, that is the statistic that I know of the statistic, but that is the example that I have. I remember that my mother would say that uh, she they got ma- she got married when she was twenty seven, and my dad was um, thirty or thirty one, and how my um, how my mother would say that if they had this desire to become physically intimate that in her case she would just do a prayer for protection for for not giving into that desire kind of thing and so they were really abstinent for until they got married it was really something that he fought for during the several years of engagement or relationship and then the engagement and then the actual marriage so that uh, when they were wearing the white dress in church, it was really a white dress. They were a virgin. And, uh, and, and today you see, so there is, when you're talking about the observation aspect, um, in the relationship you start because you're not engaging into the physical activity, you are actually involved in a, um, uh, observing all the other aspects of the individual and, and picking up in conversation something about the value system of the partner and see if this may be a good match. Would you say that's that's possible? I mean, that is the, the focus is more on getting to know each other. And it doesn't always have to be physical. And I, I realize that sometimes when they did get married, there was some disappointment there. But at the same... <laughs> well, yeah. But at the same time, it seems today, it, it almost seems the reverse. It almost seems like we get physically, we get sexual, we have intercourse on the first date. And, and then all of a sudden there's the disappointment and then we say, well, you know, the next morning he or she didn't look so good and I didn't like the conversation and I was drunk and so let's drop the whole thing and move on. And so it, that, that is not always, and of course, again, we're talking about long-term sexual relationships, but if the relationship starts with the intimacy part, then it's a, it's a tough build to, uh, to, to build it up, right? Yeah. It- Absolutely. And it's interesting that, that you bring up the subject of, you know, uh, in the old days, people, you know, took a long time. Uh, yeah. At least that was, you know, uh, that was the storyline anyway. I'm not sure it was always that way. And it's interesting to wonder, you know. Well, of course, there's been plenty of abuse. We know about yeah, it. Is, is, is that a better way to do it than what happens now? Where, yeah, what I hear anyway in my practice is very often, yes, people, first date, second date, certainly by the fourth date, they're in bed. They're having sex. And um, I think this is this is quite different. Again, uh, not whether this is right or wrong, but it brings a whole nother dynamic into, you know, our, our, our sex lives. Um you know, it reminds me of, a, I was 
working with the patient and you know hearing her story of you know a middle-aged woman dating and going through this whole process and i remember introducing this idea of to her of 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 courting Mm -hmm. which is what you're talking about this idea of actually dating for quite a while and um before engaging in going to bed of, of taking time to get to know the other person yes um I even talked about the idea of actually during that courting phase, that's when the sexual energy builds up, if you will. Sure. Um, And where, if you will, the excitement um, and the thrill of it all can actually um, take place. And so what was interesting, Jacobus, is how that idea of courting, of what it was about, of taking time, of of, uh, doing things together um, and letting the the rest of the relationship, if you will, develop slowly. Yeah. Um, it was like, oh my God, you could actually do that? Yes. You yes. know, um, so yeah, things have changed a lot. Yes. Um, and I think a lot of times the sexuals introduced, um, you know, at a stage in the relationship where, um, well, I'm not sure the relationship was ready to, to contain it and take care of it. What do you mean by that? I mean that people find out in that time of, let's call it abstinence or courting, that they realize this may not become a long-term relationship and they break it off. That, that's what you mean? Well, I, th- I think what I mean is more often what you mentioned is that um, when a couple gets physical, say, on the first night or second night or third night, very often they're confronted with afterwards of, you know, like, oh, gee, you know. How do I get out of here? Yes. Um, I don't want to be here. Yes. Um, and so their, if you will, their their desire, their longing um, for this experience um, led them into a situation that did not have a relationship around it, did not have containment, did not uh, have a way to, to, to care for them, nor did it have a... a, a I mean, these things are systems, really, in our that, that operate in our soul. And when we attempt to isolate them... Uh, yeah, I think that it just develops some, some difficulties and some problems. Again, what we're trying to talk about this morning is the idea of intimacy and desire in relationships, you know, in a healthy format um, involved in, you know, human growth and development. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it is, uh, there are any different approaches and times have changed, but there are still enough people that say hey you know there is another way that we can approach this relationship and it doesn't always have to be uh, right away on the physical at the first date but build that up and then indeed work on a long-term relationship whereby you get to know each other because it is not only about the pleasure it is also there are times when people are not able to do it because of uh, 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 physical uh, limitations and you know? and, and they can still be intimate and again, yeah, absolutely. And not well, we about- should po- we should probably take a short break for the news. I'm sorry, right. hold that thought, folks. We're going to be right back after the news. Stay tuned, please. This is Gazuntai with Jacobus. We'll be right back. But don't forget, folks. That's what you get, folks, for making whoopee. Dana, it's it's very nice for you to be with me to this today. It's a great topic. Thank you, Jacobus. It's a, it's a loaded topic, I would say. It's uh, There is so much going on because really it affects all of us. Uh, there are, as we mentioned in the first hour, there is the innate uh, instinctive behavior that we have towards uh, other people, uh, often the opposite sex, I would say. Uh, we talked about heterosexuality and the comfort zone. Um, but the 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 uh, there is this craving we have our moments our impulses of uh, sensuality and and sexual desire and 
I thought maybe that is a, uh, it, it would be great to start this second hour to talk more about the difference in conflict between uh, what intimacy is and what desire is. And um, just one thing, this response to what you just said. Um, I would just like to add to what you said that whether uh, a couple of relationship is heterosexual or, or homosexual or, or whatever, um, and there's certainly a, a wide range of possibilities here, that these human experiences are universal. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, counseling um, same-sex couples, uh, one encounters the same sort of difficulties and challenges as in heterosexual couples. Yeah. So what we're really talking about, yes, is something that's universal mm -hmm. um, uh, and is a really important part of the human experience, as we mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would like to take a minute and talk a little bit uh, about intimacy and desire and how uh, they may not be um, as compatible as people think. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think that uh, it's a useful way to look at relationships. Um, intimacy. Um, intimacy is the idea of getting to know someone very well. You know, you, you get to know uh, your partner extremely well. They become familiar. Um, uh, very often with intimacy, people will talk about safety. Uh, that they get to a point where they feel safe for the other person. We talk about being close, um, that we know the other person. We feel that we know them. Right. That's uh, that's true. Although yeah. I, I think it's important to understand that we can never really know another person. Mm -hmm. But we feel that we know them. And very often, um, intimacy, in order to become really close and intimate, uh, requires some security. Mm -hmm. All of these different aspects of intimacy can be toxic to desire. Um, mm. Esther, Esther Perel in her great book, Mating in Captivity, talks about how desire at times runs into conflict with intimacy because mm. desire requires um, creating an erotic space between the two members in the relationship, if you will, a space between um, that they can come into to engage one another. Um, in other words, two individual souls can come together and encounter each other. This requires this requires a separateness. Yes. If two souls are going to come together into an erotic space, there has to be a separateness that they come from. Hmm. Intimacy, if you will, um, is actually out to break down that separateness and to make we become a couple I see. rather than individuals. I see. But in order to maintain desire in an erotic space in a couple, there is a separateness that is required in order to create an erotic space. Huh. So hmm. what we what we find is that the the needs for intimacy and the needs for desire can be in conflict. Um Intimacy wants closeness, but eroticism needs space. Uh, mm. Intimacy can be about dependency, where erotic space is about being independent. Um, just a, you know, to a certain extent, um, we're talking about how do we want what we have, and this is how Esther Perel puts it that. Um, 
you know, in a relationship, a committed relationship where we have our partner and we're working on this relationship, how do we maintain a desire for what we have? Um, and as I mentioned earlier, I think that um, it's inevitable that desire will fade. It's inevitable that intimacy will run into gridlocks and conflicts and whatnot. Yeah. And um, that doesn't define a failing relationship. That defines a very healthy relationship. The question becomes, how does the relationship, how do the individuals in the relationship negotiate, manage these, these difficulties, uh, these, these impasses? So, well, but a difficulty doesn't always have to be a negative thing. It just means a, a separate identity. Is that uh, would you a separate uh, feeling within the relationship? Well, actually, David Schnarch in his book uh, Intimacy and Desire talks about how when we get into these these stalemates, he calls them gridlocks in intimacy, and he, and he calls it boredom in the sexual life. Huh. And he talks about this as being a very natural process. That this is a process in a healthy relationship, and that. And the, the beauty of it, as he points out, is that it, it, in order to grow, it brings out the best in us. That mm. if you will, that relationships are like this crucible where we get into these crises, we get into these moments where we either work through them or we don't. And, and in order to get through them, uh, we need to really bring out the best in us. Um, if we're not able to, if we fall into old patterns of conflict and destructiveness, um, you know, these things aren't negotiated, the relationship stops growing, and that's where we get this, you know, high divorce rate in our country. Interesting. Uh-huh. Um, so, but how do we do this? Um, Is it a question of not being able to really communicate about these kind of things? Well, communication is certainly an aspect about it, but to me it's really more about, and this is a term I, I use in my practice a lot, um, I think what we're talking about here is the process of growing up. Now, very often when we, when we think about growing up, we think about children. Our children are growing up, they're getting through kindergarten, they're getting through first grade. Mm-hmm. But I would like to suggest that um, in terms of the human experience, we never stop being um, confronted with the need to grow up. Um, you know, I think of an example of a, a, my dad. My dad's 85 years old and is very dedicated to living a very long life. Yeah. But... In his speech and in his talk about his age, I often find, um, if you will, uh, a denial of his mortality, you know, and, and, a, and a, almost a denial of the fact that he's not going to live forever. And so I often wonder, um, gee, you know, is he is he able to engage his mortality? Is this something that this challenge that he can take on? And I bring up that example just to point out that. We never stop having the demand put on us to grow up. Every stage in our life requires us to take on new challenges and to do different things. I see. And so we are mm-hmm. always mm-hmm. Uh, in need of growing up, mm-hmm. of developing as human beings. Um, and so, yeah, communication is certainly a part of it. How we communicate is critically important. But really, the, the whole process of maintaining a healthy relationship where intimacy continues and desire continues, it really is... Uh, a challenge to, to grow up, to become bigger people, to bring out the best in us so that we can be creative in our lives and not destructive. Hmm. Wow. That's uh, very well put. That's very good. I like this. I mean, it's not indeed when you have the professional, like yourself, the professional explanation about words. And, and like you said, the conflict, but the conflict between the words, all of a sudden, it, 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 just listening to you, it really, Enriches me. I, I think it's very, very interesting. The, um, because automatically we're thinking about relationships that we're in ourselves with other people. Well, that's just it. This is universal. It is. We're not talking to something objective over there that, you know, 
we can observe. We are talking about that, but we're also talking about our own experience. Yeah. You know, in our, in our own lives and, and, you know, really important things in our own lives. Yeah. Um, so if the erotic space requires separateness, it, it requires two separate self-sustaining, um, healthy individuals to come into this erotic space. You know, what does that mean? Uh, you know, what, wh- how would we describe that? Well, Again, referring back to David Snarch in his book, he, he talks about um, the difference between an internal sense of self and a reflected sense of self. A reflected sense of self is, is that's what we get from others. Uh, we get feedback about, you know, who we are, how we're doing, you know, what's going on in our lives. We get lots of feedback. People think certain ways about us. And this, this is our reflected sense of self. How we think about ourselves, how we engage ourselves. You know, we, we have an internal relationship with ourselves. We have an internal dialogue with ourselves all the time. And so what's the nature of our relationship to ourselves? What is our internal sense of self? I mean, sometimes, uh, words like self-esteem and self-worth are, are, are overused. And yet we are talking about that kind of thing now. So, you know, how strong is the internal self? Um, when a self is dependent on a reflected self-worth, then we're, we're, we're in a dependent, needy position to our partner. Mm. Um, so in order to enter into a, a healthy, sustainable erotic space, we need to bring a, a healthy individual soul to that. Right. And so we need a good internal sense of self that is not just dependent on a reflective sense of self. Um, and, and having a strong sense of internal self... It, it makes autonomy possible. It makes choice possible. It makes self-determination possible. And it makes meaningful relationships possible. We need yeah. to be able to self-validate, not just get validation from others. Mm-hmm. When we're getting it from others, if you will, when we're relying on, on others for validation, we're borrowing it. You know, And if we're, bo- see. if we're borrowing it, we cannot bring it to the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, we're borrowing the function of somebody else. Um, another term that uh, he uses in his book, um, and he uses it in a particular way, is, is differentiation, which he defines as the ability to keep emotional balance while interacting in important relationships. We've all had the experience of being in a conflict with a partner or whatnot, and just being, you know, something gets said that just, you know, hurts or throws us off, or or, or we lose it and we get upset, you know, we, yeah. get, we get angry. Yeah. And what he's talking about is, you know, in the heat of that moment being able to keep an equilibrium um, and not overreact. That you can hold on to yourself while your partner is pressuring you. Um, he goes on to, t- you know, you can regulate your anxiety. You can be non-reactive. You can tolerate discomfort so that you can work through these difficult times. That's when you're differentiated from the other. When you're not differentiated from the other, you will struggle to do this. You will struggle to, to manage conflicts. Um so just a couple of terms that he uses to describe how um, how separateness is developed. Um, one of my favorite books um, is by Shel Silverstein. It's called "The Missing Piece Meets the Big O." And um, it, the missing a, piece is the, missing, the Big O. The missing piece meets the Big uh-huh. O. And the concept he's playing with is the missing piece is, is in the book. It's a circle with a little small pie shaped piece missing from the circle Mm -hmm. and uh, the missing piece is going through life looking for its missing piece and the idea is that you know when the when when this 
circle finds the missing piece and it fits in, then it will be whole. And, you know, it's, it's very humorous how the efforts are made to find the, the missing piece and fit it in there, but it never quite works out. Um, but when the missing piece meets the big O, the big O says, well, you don't, you don't need a missing piece. You have everything that you need. Correct. You just need to get going. Right. You just need to, and so the missing piece gets going and it's, as it rolls, it kind of thumps, but then the hard edges get rounded out and eventually it becomes a full circle and it can roll on its own. I see. And, and so the relationship takes on the form of two complete circles rolling along next to each other. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the beginning, the circle with the missing piece was looking for its missing piece. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about an internal sense of self versus reflected sense of self, mm-hmm. that reflected sense of self is like the missing piece, the person looking for the missing piece, and they're getting it from others. Whereas an internal, with an internal sense of self, the person can roll on their own. And then you have this, uh, this metaphor for a healthy relationship of two complete circles rolling next to each other together. Yeah. And yet, uh, they are maintained as, as separate individuals who come together in this space between them. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah. So the idea that I encounter when I, when I do my research and study this subject, and it comes up in different languages and different places, is this idea that we need a strong sense of self. We need a, a sense of separateness. We need our own identity in our own life. Correct. Um, to, to be able to enter into an erotic space with another. That if we are fused in a relationship, if we are overly close, uh, intimacy can, can smother desire. Uh, the closest can become, you know, so overwhelming in a sense, um, that there isn't any mystery or any unfamiliar left. Yeah. And that can make the place of desire very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just this idea that intimacy and desire can be in conflict. Yeah, I think that's that's very powerful. I also think that it it goes back to uh, how we were raised. I mean, doesn't that uh, doesn't have a lot to do with it? I'm thinking all of a sudden why there are there is separateness. There are two individuals coming together that grow together. You wanted to want to grow together in in different aspects of life, getting to know each other, getting to know themselves, getting closer with each other, keeping the individuality within the relationship. And therefore, being able to uh, to express, but at the same time to accept. Uh, so you have individuals that uh, that get together in a long term relationship. But I think a lot of it has to do with. Uh, let's see, how do I say that? Sometimes I wonder one of the reasons why people break up as much as they do is because we have we have been able to um, to overcome distance we can we can, instead of growing up in a village and getting and starting a relationship with somebody from that village and having the same cultural background and 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 knowing the same people in the neighborhood and kind of grow starting to grow together uh, right now you could meet people from complete different cultures or different parts of uh, the country with a different upbringing um different religious background uh, uh, of cultural background in many ways and and all of a sudden these people come together and there may be indeed that attraction the separateness that creates a certain erotic desire so to say but the intimacy 
it's is difficult to grow into because of the separateness that these people have from their own background, which is really fundamental in the way that they act on a daily basis. I like what you said. It, it sounds like you are you're going forward with a further uh, definition of the difference between intimacy yeah. and erotic desire. That yeah, that the, the separateness and the unfamiliarity might cause a strong attraction. Yeah. Uh, and yet, at the same time, in terms of putting a family together, creating a family culture and that, of, of intimacy, of closeness, yeah, those different cultures coming together might be very difficult. Maybe very difficult. And that's, uh, you know, that could be good. I mean, sometimes uh, we, we look at commercials like eHarmony.com and uh, they, uh, from the commercial I look at, it looks like people come from different backgrounds, but they fill out this profile on the internet and somehow they find somebody of course not somehow but they do find somebody who is compatible with them and because there are so many questions that have to be answered if people are indeed compatible so that the startup of the relationship there is already a good base to start with uh, whereas so many people meet each other on the fly so to say and there is this I like the way you mentioned in the first hour about the observation part, uh, you have this scanning of the individual. Do I see any flaws? Uh, do I hear anything in the voice? Do I see something in, in their behavior that offends me? No? Okay, well, then I'm going to proceed to step two. And that is how people sometimes uh, get together, start to get together because they see each other and there is this look from across the room and there is already this connection. Um, um <laughs> I mean, there is actually, there are so many things that come up in this whole topic, uh, things that come to my mind as you're talking about it, things that I hear you say that are, that are so well said. I, I like the way you are expressing the, uh, the whole topic and how you, how you look at it professionally. It's, it's, uh, for me, it just sparks come up in my mind that I go like, Oh, I heard, oh, yeah, I know that one. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. I seen that on TV. Oh, I know my sister has been dealing with this. And so it is, it's, it's so, there is, a, there is a common red line, but at the same time, there are so many differences within a relationship, within a family, within a family dynamics uh, uh, that come up in my thoughts as I'm listening to this topic. Well, when you mentioned eHarmony, I thought that, um, not to criticize eHarmony or any of those um, sites, but, you know, that the image that they present initially, you know, is, is the fantasy that we all have, that yes. we'll meet this person, that's our match and whatnot. What we're talking about today is, is, if you will, the reality of yes. being in a relationship and, and the difficulties that will be encountered. Yes. Um, almost on a guaranteed basis. All right. Well, that, well, that the real thing is quite different. It, it is. That's right. Of course, that's part of a commercial. Well, we're going to have to go to a little commercial right now. Uh, folks, you are listening to Gesundheit with Jacobus. My guest, Dana Mikkel, will be right back. Um, I, I was looking over here at an article that I have. It's from the website, thenewintimacy.com. It says, so what can we do to actually succeed at love? Most of us desire an intimate relationship in order to feel loved, connected, to share passionate sex, to feel good about ourselves and overcome loneliness. We look for a partner with whom we can grow and share our spiritual discoveries. On one hand, we dream of perfection, the sublime union with our soulmate, spiritual and magical. Yet in real life, 
It's more often true that we enter into relationship worried and insecure, not knowing how to actually create a long-lasting, spiritual, fulfilling love. And I think that uh, that uh, that is that is very apropos. I would say based on what we are discussing today, Dana. Yes, it is. I think it speaks well to what we all want, what we what we look for. Um, and what we're talking about is the, the challenges of actually doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The, the difference between the fantasy and the romance when we start and the reality of the relationship um, presents us with challenges. Um, and then for the relationship to survive and sustain, it will need to grow. Yes. And so what we're talking about is how, how can you do that? How can two individuals yeah, because, make that happen? And, 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 and I see that, and I know plenty of people. Um, who are not intimate with each other and do not have a lot of physical connection, intercourse, sexual relationship, but still do their best to make it work. And and they might just say, you know what, that's just the way it is. And we accept it because divorce is not an option. So in a way, they're unhappy in their relationship, but they want to hold on to it because it is better than the alternative. So it, it is it to really get the best out of the relationship that you had in mind when you started the relationship, you need to work at it. Well, I would say that the couple you describe, which I think is very common, yeah, um, is, is who we are talking about this morning, yes. in fact. And that the idea, my idea is that that couple um, they may have decided that, you know, this is all we get. This is good enough. However, the, you know, they may think about it. Um, but what I would like to suggest is there are ways in which that couple could enrich their relationship. And in all likelihood, um, they do have a desire for more mm-hmm. and that they would like to see more in their relationship, but they have not been able to find a way to get there. Um, and, the idea here is that there is a way uh, for couples like that to, to start thinking and working individually and collaboratively to build a healthier relationship, yeah. one that does include a healthy sex life. And I, I don't want to um, start pointing fingers here. I don't want to say, oh, let's put it all in this category. But in my work, I see on a regular basis men and women come in with a libido issue. They say, we want it, but it's just not there. And then often I find out that, you know, I, I'm, I'm always thinking, okay, what can I do? What can, how can I help? What do I hear in how they're expressing themselves? And then all of a sudden I forgot to ask them, are you on some type of medication? And we're finding out that so many people have, are diagnosed with having some kind of an, a depression that they go on an antidepressant. And because a doctor says, uh, well, you know, they're not diagnosing a thyroid disorder, for example, correctly. So there is the apathy. There is the little anxiety, little fatigue, want to sleep more, always sensitive to cold and heat, uh, lowering libido. And they go to the physician and physician checks them and says, well, there's no problem with your thyroid, even though there is. But the numbers don't add up. And I've talked about it in a previous show. 
So people actually do have a thyroid problem with these type of symptoms, but the doctor says, no, there's no problem, and they just haven't been tested correctly. So now, with all these expressions, people go back to the doctor, and the doctor says, well, I have a feeling that there's so much going on in your life, you're probably depressed, I'm going to put you on a Prozac or a little Valium or something, which actually takes away, there is still the desire. These people may go into uh, internet porn or uh, read magazines because there is the desire. They just don't know how to communicate that with the partner who they really would like to be intimate with. Well, you brought up a number of really important issues, one of which is that uh, very often medicines, medications do affect um, functioning in a wide range of areas. You know, almost every medication that we might take, yeah. every pharmaceutical is going to have side effects. Yes. Um, and yeah, one, one of the common side effects of antidepressants is, is a decrease in libido, of yeah. sexual desire. Even in cholesterol medication. Okay. So, you know, as is always the case in any situation where we're talking uh, about the emotional, the psychological aspect of, of yeah. a human being, it's always important to take into consideration you know the the medical issues yes you know and to rule out uh any potential medical reasons why someone might have um low desire but you know even the subject itself is very interesting if we stop and think for a minute about low desire well low desire what is that and what's high desire and compared compared to what um oh yeah of course David Snarch presents the idea that in every relationship, there's a low desire partner and a high desire partner. And that very often this creates conflict, if you will, in the erotic space between them. And those roles may change. Those roles can change. That's, that's absolutely true. Uh, he talks about how the, you know, the low desire partner controls sexuality because, um, the low desire partner is the one who's going to determine. Says no. Precisely. Yeah. By the process of elimination. Yeah. Um, but it's really interesting if you stop and examine what's going on there. Why might this, him or her, because it can be either, not have a desire to be sexual with their partner? And it, it, when we look at those examples, you know, in, in cases and case histories, it's very interesting that it is all tied up again in what we talked about before, the meanings of sex, um, uh, our histories, what we bring to them, what our expectations are. Um, and, and actually, very often, it's really not about someone's desire to be sexual, but their capacity to do so. I see. Uh-huh. And so uh, perhaps another way to put this is that in order to maintain and sustain the erotic in one's life, you know, we need we need to have the capacity to do so. We need to be able to get mm-hmm. past, dis, dis, you know, inhibitions and fears and that sort of thing. Um to become sexual, but yes, really important to keep in mind that there are there are medical aspects here. There are medical considerations. There always are, but just. Uh, but I, I I do believe that that is an important part. I mean, we don't want to make that part of the, the red line in this uh, this uh, discussion that we have today. But I do know that a lot of people are being prescribed some type of an antidepressant and now they don't understand why they don't have those feelings or when they uh, men who who would like to be intimate can get an erection but they cannot hold the erection because as part of a side effect of some of the medications that they're on and so then they come in and they feel like what's wrong with me well again really important to uh 
take that all into consideration. And, and if you're you're struggling with a, a desire or a sexual function problem, you really need to pay attention to that and ask yeah. the right questions. Because yes, yes antidepressants very often uh, have that impact, and there's lots of other medicines too. Yes. But you know, it cuts both ways. And and in my work, I have found that, um, for instance, with men, men who find that later in life they have difficulty with an erection and so perhaps they'll go to their doctor and they'll get a prescription for Viagra for instance right and then they find I mean that's a very simple straightforward medication it helps blood flow and so um, as we get older the vessels become less flexible and you know this helps with blood flow however reading case studies in my own experience it's very interesting very often men feel that they're having a difficulty with that but as their sexual relationship becomes better and they become more confident, and their lover becomes more capable and understanding, quite often you find men having the experience that they don't need to take Viagra. Right. That at one time, from one place, from one position of perhaps a lack of confidence, uh, a lack of you know faith in your own, your own ability to perform, um, that you need this medication. And yet when the sexual relationship becomes stronger and safer, um, and uh, it having the capacity to hold you, you know, and, and, and perhaps even allow for these variations. It's very interesting that uh, a man's performance can, can improve dramatically uh, without medication. Yes. So, again, this sexuality is more than just a bodily function. And an erection doesn't just come from blood flow, but it, it comes from passion. Yes. It comes from um, feelings and, and, and the back and forth between a partner. And, yes. uh, again, when we there's a tendency... And when we talk about things like Viagra, we start to talk about function and we forget about the depth and the complexity uh, of being erotic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad I was able to bring this up because I, I realized that, uh, uh, when, when, when men, for example, men are a little bit easier to talk to me at the store about it. And my, my question is obviously there is, yes, there are even herbal, or natural remedies that may help with erections and with uh, with uh, intimacy at the same or desire even but at the same time i always say what has changed in you or what has changed in the relationship that like we say people may be stuck in the relationship they feel stuck they feel that they're not progressing but they don't know how to communicate that with the partner. And that's what somebody like yourself would come in as a licensed clinical professional counselor, that you see the couples and that you listen to them and are help and help them to, to hear their own words, to, to how do you observe? Do you actually know how things are being said? Um, um, this is what your partner hears and, and you, you're more there as a, as an observer and a helper to help people better communicate because communication is a big part of, of desire. Don't you think so? Good communication. Absolutely. And, and, and good communication is, is defined by what? By what you say, how you say it. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's many aspects to it. As you were talking, I remembered a, a couple that I work, worked with, um, a while back and, um, they came in and, 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 and the wife was just, you know, you, you could see on her face, she was just at the end of her rope. Oh. It was like her spirit was crushed. Uh, she was just carrying this enormous burden. Um, he was, you know, kind of fired up and agitated and, uh, really concerned about his wife. And, and he came in and he was just so intense on 
their financial predicament and how they needed a plan. He just kept talking about the plan. She has to buy into the plan. She's, she's got to understand we need a plan to get out of this. And he was so focused that his marriage was going to make it or not based on whether he could convince his wife to buy into this financial plan. Um, and this went on for several sessions and wow. she, she's just overwhelmed by it. She's almost in tears the whole time. Yeah. And he's very agitated and talk about this plan. And, and, um, so I just, I just said to them both at one point, I just said that I thought that, um, irregardless of whether, uh, they could get together on this financial plan, I didn't think that that was really going to have much impact on the relationship. Uh, and I said to him, I said, I think the problem with your relationship is emotional. And, um, he was infuriated. He was absolutely infuriated with me. In fact, I almost lost them, you know, it was, but, but they did come back. And, um, eventually he got this, uh, he, he, he decided, even though he wasn't really buying into it, that he'd give it a try. And so he started to try and connect emotionally with his wife, which for him involved listening right. instead of talking, I see. you know, and after a while, he was able to come in and just say, you know, I didn't believe you. I thought you were full of it. And yet, you know, by doing this and getting away from this insistence on this external thing, right. uh, this plan, um, their finances, you know, their, their, the whole structure of the family from an economic perspective, uh, you know, they started to come in and she has a lot more upbeat. She was a lot more positive. Yeah. She could smile. She could look at him. They could actually look at each other and exchange um, their feelings and their thoughts. Um, and so, yes, this idea that uh, it's in the emotional realm, yeah. you know, staying connected. And it's, it's not necessarily what you're saying, but how you're saying it. Mm -hmm. And are you, are you able to be there separately with some kind of strength, with some kind of um, internal self-control so that, you, you know, you can be creative? And constructive with your partner, um, face these challenges um, and work through them. Yeah. Very um, very often, I will talk to people about the difference between working through something and just acting it out. You know, when we when we have, for instance, we're angry. We get angry. If we don't express it, if we don't channel it, then it's going to come out some way. And I, I use the phrase "come out sideways." You know, it'll come out our ears. We'll yes. make some mean comment. We'll do some cruel thing to somebody because we're not passive passive aggressiveness that's one way that's one of the ways yeah. yep so in um, a way you are acting on it it is just that it may not be a, 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 a becoming passive aggressive or indeed being giving the silent treatment or just giving snappy remarks it's coming out sideways but it is coming out that's exactly the point it's going to come out now the terms i like to use is now, now how is it going to come out is it going to come out in the way you just described, which I would describe as destructive, that is going to be harmful to the relationship, or can it come out in a constructive way? Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, anger is a great example. Anger, when um, understood, engaged, and, and channeled, utilized, anger is a very good thing. It's a really important emotion that we need. Most often we think about anger as a bad thing because we think about anger as someone being out of control. Yeah. But there is such a thing as a person who is angry and they are in control mm -hmm. and uh, they are they are taking that anger, channeling that energy constructively, yeah. creatively. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, communication is important, but you can have destructive communication. 
That's and then right. you can have you can have constructive communication. Uh-huh. And very often it's not about the content, but it's about the feeling of it. It's, mm-hmm. it's about the emotional exchange. Mm-hmm. You mentioned looking across the room and having a connection with someone. You know, that's a that's a nonverbal emotional connection and communication. Yes. And so um, it is important what's said, absolutely. But again, many things cannot be said until they can be said with a certain way. Right. Which involves, again, two fairly strong, solid people, one who can listen and one who can speak, speak, but speak constructively. Mm-hmm. And, and another thing that uh, sometimes may be a block is the once children get involved, uh, when there is not good communication going on between the partners, you have a, there is a tendency to fo- to put all the focus on the children, and uh, and and not on the actual relationship that brought the children on the planet. Children present enormous grandchildren. Yes, children present enormous challenges, and, and I, I often talk to couples. Don't forget that the one thing that you have to give your children is your relationship. That's totally, because that's what they're looking at. They are going to grow up in your relationship, so do not forget to take care of it and nurture it and keep it strong. The the children need your relationship. All right. Great, great comment. Uh, We'll be back, uh, folks. Uh, One more hour to go with uh, Dana Mikkel. Stay tuned. We will be right back. So what do we want to jump on in this last hour? Well... Let's talk a little bit more about uh, intimacy and desire and, and this idea that, um, yeah, it's a little, it might be a little contradictory to how people might commonly think about it, but just this sense that it's a strong sense of self that's needed uh, to create a space for desire in a relationship. Um, that we need two strong souls in order to make a strong, healthy relationship. Um, it, and a strong sense of self is important because it creates separateness rather than fusion. It creates independence rather than dependence. And, and that's how you create a space between, uh, so that there is an ero- so there can be an erotic space to come into. So the erotic involves out of a separateness and then a coming together. Mm-hmm. Um, it involves a wanting of, of wanting the other. And, of course, that creates risk because when we want, we risk not getting what we want. That's a great point. And when mm-hmm. we want another, we want them to want us, that's, that's vulnerability. And so uh, there's a tension in that, a tension with the other, a tension in this otherness. But it's just that difference, if you will, that creates the space that c- creates the erotic. So, again, the erotic is in the space between um, and so the best way to improve intimacy and desire is by developing a strong, self-validated, differentiated self, to have a good, strong soul to bring to the relationship. Um, you know, very often people, couples come in and, and they want to talk about their feelings. They want to be heard and they want to talk about how they feel. And there's a sense that... A feeling, feelings are the final authority on what's going on. And I think that is a big problem in relationships that you can get very lost if you think that your feeling is the final authority. Uh, because in a way, that's just the beginning of the work. I see. Um, what needs to come after that? Okay. You feel that way. Why do you feel that way? What is your history and your meaning making, your interpretation of events? 
that brings you to feel this particular way about what's happened. Um, in other words, what's needed is not just an embrace of the feeling, but a, a, a self-confrontation about that feeling, about really looking at what am I really doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, I say I feel this way, but what's the nature of that response, really? Um, so yeah, this idea of confronting the self, of, of standing up strong, of, of not being reactive and defensive, being able to work things through. Again, this idea of growing up and taking on our, our human development, you know, as we go through the entire lifespan. Mm-hmm. Um, and what this involves is, I guess you can start to feel it, is that this idea of intimacy and, and, and desire, that there's a tension that we actually need to maintain in a relationship between closeness, what we might call the intimacy, and uh, this desire you know, to have an erotic life, which requires some separateness. Um, so if we have a strong sense of self, we have a sense of autonomy. And I think that autonomy promotes stable attachments. Um, and a, an autonomous person who's in, in an attached relationship, uh, you know, attachment requires autonomy. How can we attach to another if, we, if we're not able to stand separately? If we're just fused, it's not really much of an attachment. Mm-hmm. Um, we've just turned into one. Um, so I see. in order to attach, we need to have some autonomy. In order to come together, we need to have su- some separateness. They require each other. Um, the universe seems to work this way. You know, how do we, how do we have nighttime if we don't have daytime? And uh, Chuck was talking about our short summers here. How could we possibly talk about our short summers if we didn't have that winter by comparison? Correct. Uh, so in order to have togetherness. We need separateness mm-hmm. and attention between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, so this idea of being differentiated, being separate, is the opposite of being emotionally fused. It's actually the opposite of being really close, in the way we often think about intimacy. Um, fusion is togetherness, but it's it's attachment without any separateness. But if we have a differenti- differentiated self, we have togetherness with separateness. And what I'm trying to suggest is that in order to have uh, a healthy sexual erotic life in a relationship, we need this differentiation. We need this separateness in order to create this coming together. Yeah. Um, just a, a few statements about that. Um, and, you know, to create attention, to actually deal with these things up front is very difficult. It's mm-hmm. very challenging. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so this idea that relationships are going to hit these stumbling blocks, they mm-hmm. are going to get stuck, mm-hmm. that desire is going to fade and you are going to find yourself sexually bored at some point, mm-hmm. that this is not a problem or the end of the relationship. This is just a developmental point that pushes us to grow. Correct. And very often we don't meet that challenge and so we, you know, we, we won't grow and we won't sustain a relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe intimacy isn't... Uh, made so that we feel good. In fact, sometimes intimacy, we're not going to feel very good at all. But intimacy is there to make us grow, that it will at times make us insecure and vulnerable, and that these are times of challenges, and and that in a healthy relationship, the people take these challenges on, they work through them, and and in this way, they continue to grow. Um, I'm I'm thinking all of a sudden, um, I see more and more people in the process of losing weight 
they feel that they want to lose weight because they feel it's healthier for them, which is fine. But I think there is often an underlying cause that there is a lack of uh, self-esteem and maybe they don't feel attractive anymore to the partner and feel that and it may be an unspoken thing. Well, I'm just going to lose weight. I need to lose a few extra pounds. It may be an unspoken sentence that says, I don't feel attractive anymore towards you. And that has been the reason why I haven't been that close, that intimate with you. And to go on further, if I if I oh, lose, I'm going to go on a diet. If I, I lose weight and I work out, then I'll, 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 I'll I will better fit this uh, cultural image of what I'm supposed to look like, and that this will fix the problem. Yeah, very much this idea of externalizing the problem. Yes. And what I'm saying and, and trying to point out is that yes, this is what we do. This is this is the, sort of the cultural standard. Yes. Uh, but that's not really the core of, of what I think of as, as, as real ongoing sexuality. Um, you might lose weight and you might in one way look better, but that is not necessarily at all going to have an impact on your sex life and being, you know. That it is deeper or more intense. In fact, you can lose or weight. satisfying. Yeah. yeah, you can lose weight and do all those things and it's almost guaranteed that it will not change those aspects. Huh. Of your life, but yes, it's an example of of the externalization of the problem. If I just lose weight, this. If you would just do this, then we would be fine. If you would just listen to me, you know, rather than turning it around and bringing back into the individual, taking on the personal accountability of what you're doing in the relationship, um, of working on your soul so that you have something to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really, um, yeah, it's all these externalizations. It's like the, the couple that came in and, and, and the husband was talking about the, 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 the financial plan. Yes. If we can get this together, we're going to be fine. Well, that was not the case. What he really needed to do is, is look at his emotional connection in his relationship and how that was, um, it was suffering so much. And what he was doing is he was expressing, you know, his anxieties. Through through his finances, uh-huh. um, but not not stopping to confront himself uh, about his feelings and his thoughts and and how he was not you know um, he was not creating a space for his wife to be in or for the two of them to be in. Right, it is a way to avoid intimacy. Could be you know talking about we t- we mentioned at the l- end of the last hour. Involving children in the relationship, that if uh, you got nothing else to talk about, let's just talk about the children. It doesn't always make you closer. And or when the children are out the door, then you got the empty nest, and they say nest because they hope it's going to fill up again with the grandchildren. You know, <laughs> so, <laughs> so that they won't be alone and have to deal with themselves. Yeah. So is this the, is this okay? Then uh, now we're going to focus on the grandchildren, and then you're growing old. But uh, meanwhile, there is not the work being done on the actual intimacy in the relationship that started this whole family to begin with. And and and, and so things need to be done. Sometimes it is uh, indeed turning off the TV and reading a book together or doing a game together or being becoming more playful, uh, going on walks. Talk about talk about your day, talk about what's going on. And and I think especially in a relationship, uh, it becomes very clear that we need to be able to process our day. We need to be able to to share, to, to, to unload 
so that we get rid of the shield that shielded us that day that 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 that, that created our feelings or uh, uh, the way we performed that day we need to step out of that and be back in the relationship so sometimes we want to process the part that is in front of our eyes that just happened that day get it out of there and then all of a sudden we can see the partner again and be closer uh, as you were talking I, yeah I, I thought that yeah, we sure do. We need to share our stories and we need to, and we need to connect. Yeah. Um, and, and there you're talking about intimacy, uh, of coming back, unloading, sharing stories, hearing about the other's day. Yeah. Then you talked a little bit about sort of showing yourself, exposing yourself. And I think that when we let the, our partner see us, I mean, the real us, you know, the honest us, um, and sometimes we'll do that in stories and talking, but you know, sometimes not. That's where we start to create that 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 other space. I mean, to really show ourselves. It's one thing to tell a story; it's another thing to really reveal yourself and allow yourself to be seen by the other. Uh, again, that vulnerable sense of you know being present and being offered um, that creates a, a vulnerability. Um, so yes, we have the intimacy of telling the story and talking and connecting in that way. And then there's this other aspect to the relationship of, of not hiding, of not having walls up, as a common term, uh, that we're willing to, um, to be real with our partner, to expose ourselves. Um, and the, the reason for that is that that creates the kind of connection and the kind of strength that will allow for an erotic space. Yeah. Yeah, it's like peeling the onion in a way. There is a there is a core that where we really want to connect, but it is sometimes <laughs> hidden behind all the outer experiences that we have in the day, or that that is going on in our own own quest for better health, or it is in the way that the children are doing things, and and then in the long term relationship, all of a sudden the actual relationship is suppressed. Well, this is hard work. I mean, I think yeah, it's it is. really it takes impo- work. It's really important to say that, you know, sometimes this is going to come naturally, but other times it's just going to be hard work. Again, it's not always going to make you feel good to be intimate, close to somebody. It's, but what it should do is really push you to grow at times. Um, it's going to, you're going to be insecure. You're going to be vulnerable sometimes. If yeah. you're not willing to do that, again, to, to reveal yourself, it's going to be very hard to grow. Um, just a few other thoughts about this, you know. Again, a solid sense of self develops from confronting yourself, not confronting your partner, but confronting yourself, mm-hmm. challenging yourself to do what's right and earning your own self-respect. Um, another way to think about it, people who cannot control themselves control the people around them. Right. If, you, if you rely on someone else for a positive reflected self, you invariably try to control them. So, you know, are we, are we engaged in these, uh, struggles of power and control and trying to be in control to ease our anxieties? Or are we willing to be with our anxieties, to share them? Um, yeah, to reveal ourselves. Are we strong enough, yeah. uh, to, again, enter that way of being, which is constructive and creative, which is not defensive, which is, you know, not shut down, but open? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is the um, the book by Dr. John Gray, Men are for Mars, Women are for Venus. He just came out with a new book, uh, Venus on Fire, Mars on Ice. Uh, more developing on this whole principle of the duality between male and female and the way that we express 
our feelings and desires uh, that, that that we need to understand in order to come closer together. Um, I'm thinking as you're talking, my, the thought all of a sudden comes up, we have learned more about relationships and about creating intimacy. When we go, are, are we sometimes overdoing it in this day and age? Is is it is it because uh, women have found a place in society where they actually where, where they're equal with men, which in my opinion they've always been, but it it seems like society keeps talking about women have been suppressed for a long time and just had to obey the husband and that's the way it was and they were supposed to have children and stay at home in the kitchen, and obviously that was a very wrong sense of of balance. Now, it, it, women are expressing themselves so well for the last 30, 40 years, more and more. Um, men have, because of this, have, have, have actually shown a certain weakness that they're not the stronger sex, so to say. Has that created certain conflicts that has all of a sudden brought this whole topic that we're talking about today more to the front as being an actual issue that was never addressed in the past? Well... My sense isn't that we're overdoing it at all. Um, in, sense my, uh, in fact, my sense is that we're, we're not doing enough about it, that we're not doing enough to, to support and encourage and, and assist people having you know, successful relationships. Um, I actually think there's just an enormous deficit in a general cultural knowledge about how to do this. Um, you know, and the idea of, uh, you know, the divorce rate might not, I think, speaks to that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Certainly, there are, real big changes going on in society and culture. And, and even, in fact, this recent economic recession, I've read a number of pieces about how yeah. uh, that has impacted male employment more than female employment. It's created a, uh, more than ever before a situation where men are at home taking care of children and women I are see. out working. I see. So, of course, those kind of things affect the politics of, of um, a relationship. And yet, again, in terms of maintaining intimacy and, you know, uh, in an erotic life at the same time, I don't think that changes the core issues. It may change the subject matter and the content, and yet in order to maintain desire and to maintain a healthy intimacy, it's still going to require the same work from the individuals. Yeah. And it says, I don't think we're overdoing it, but not necessarily, it doesn't seem that we're doing it in the right way that's really helping people out and oh, really, really being constructive. That's really interesting. I'll be talking about the same thing here, that a lot of books have been written about relationships and intimacy and sexual desires, uh, and you you feel we're still not hitting it the right way, or were you talking about something different? Well, no, I think that's a part of it. Um, And and an awful lot of the past work has been on this idea of sexual functioning. I mean, the minute we start talking about someone having low libido, we're starting to talk about functioning. And and I think that we have... uh, immediately oversimplified the situation. I see. Mm-hmm. So um, so what you're saying is, is if we do the inner work, then the functioning will be just fine. Well, I don't think the functioning is going to be very good unless there is the, the inner work, at least not sustainable in a committed relationship. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that I think what we're starting to find out is that it's not just about a physical performance and it's just, for instance, not whether a man can get an erection or, you know, a woman can get moist or not. I mean, these are really crossover simplifications. Those performances are, are impacted enormously by our, our emotional experience, our spiritual 
experience yes. and in a relationship yes. on the history of the relationship and where that particular couple is at any given point in time. Yeah, you, you, in a way, you feel that as the couple is to get longer, it should get easier and better. And it, in a way, it is deeper and they know each other, but it seems like we're, we're skipping the uh, the sexual relationship and the intimacy and the desire it seems like well no keep we don't keep working on it and and yes you're talking about uh, women and men men going through the midlife crisis women going through menopause and the physical effects that it has on both but at the same time you can sometimes wonder emotionally um, is are the emotions the real reason why uh, these the functionings are not happening and that's what you're bringing up right now well and again it, it, what it brings back to my mind this idea of sexual attitudes, yes. you know, and, and, and how, how we engage this part of our life. I remember I was at a seminar and they showed this video and they showed it, there was, it was an older couple. They were in their seventies and they showed this older couple in bed, you know, um, making love. And it, it really pushed the boundaries of your attitude about, you know, who's having sex and who isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we need to, and again, the whole idea in talking about attitudes is very often we need to broaden our attitudes about this. Mm-hmm. We need to open ourselves up. And it's, yeah, it's not a simple matter of functioning. It's not a simple matter of medication or this or that, but it is a question of engaging the whole soul, the whole human being, mm-hmm. um, create a place for passion. All right. We'll be right back. We have a caller who would, is on hold who would like to get involved in the conversation. What is your name, please? Good morning to you, and how can we help you? Uh, yes, I wanted to know um, some of the books that he mentioned. Yeah, good uh, point. If he could repeat them because he didn't have time to write them. And uh, would these be his top five? And also, if if there was somebody young that's getting married and you wanted to give them a, a, a book as a gift, uh, which one would it be? Oh, good point. Well, Good questions and good morning to you. Um, two books that I've been referring to mostly this morning is the first one is titled Mating in Captivity. Mating in Captivity. Yes. Um, subtitled Unlocking Erotic Intelligence and it's by Esther Perel. That's P-E-R-E-L. Um, that's a very accessible book with lots of examples, um, examples of couples dealing with things and I think that that would be Real helpful. And um, the other book I would suggest is um, Intimacy and Desire. It's by David Snarch, N-S-C-H-N-A-R-C-H. Um, I think both of these books are, you know, well-based psychologically, and uh, they offer some uh, really useful uh, ways to think about relationships. Hmm. Great, thank you. That's good. Good question. Thanks very much for doing that. There is, um, let's see, uh, we were just just discussing, um, you know, I I thought that the talk about the outer circumstances, trying to control the outer, is, like you say, we need to really do work on the inner in order to bring the best that we have to offer to our partner and that is work that continues as we age so as we you were talking about a, a couple in the 70s that you saw who was doing the work on themselves and had a very strong relationship i think that's the paradox or the dilemma what, what you might want to say is that yeah you need to bring the focus back home 
to your to your own self and to yeah. confront yourself. Yes, that uh, the only soul you're going to save is your own, and um, you need to have a good, strong, healthy soul to bring to a relationship if you'd like to be successful. Yeah. Uh, what always seems to happen for all of us is we get focused on the external. Uh, you know, for instance, we all say to our partner, "You made me feel this way." Uh-huh. But just think about those words. You made me feel. There's no personal accountability for owning that feeling. You're assigning the feeling to, to the other person rather than, hey, that was my feeling. Um, you know, even that, that phrase right there is externalizing the whole process rather than, you know, asking the question, I feel this way. Why do I feel this way? Yes. What is it in my way of thinking and making sense out of things that caused me to have this feeling? Mm. Um, yeah, the, the irony of the situation is that if a strong couple is made up of two strong individual separate souls. Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Not that the, the relationship doesn't get worked on. It, it's going to have to get worked on. Mm -hmm. But the work gets done from a base, which involves certain capacities that come from having taken care of business at home first. Yes. So if a man says, yes, dear, all the time that may not be <laughs> that may not be the right approach well maybe in that relationship it works um well works to accomplish what you know and again uh, yeah you're right i mean it could be it could work for them in their relationship there may be times when that is the thing to say and and, and but if that's the case is undoubtedly going to be times when you know you would not say that mm -hmm. um so but i mean i think uh, again on the face of it you, you can't make assumptions about statements like that however If someone says that all the time, I would suggest that there's no genuine interaction going on uh, because no one's going to please you all the time, you know, and, and it can't be yes, dear, all the time. I mean, that's so seeing, seeing a woman walking or a picture of a woman and being aroused or seeing a, a picture of a man or uh, seeing a man walk in a certain way, women may get aroused. Is that part of a healthy sexual feeling or is that, oh, you're maybe not getting enough at home, so now you're looking for it outwardly? Well, first of all, I think it's perfectly natural experience. It's natural. To, to, to look and see another person and find them attractive. Um, yeah, there's a difference between finding somebody attractive and actually get feelings of arousal, in my opinion. Um, I can see a lot of attractive people but may not bring anything else. Yes, on. you're absolutely right. Some people will create an arousal and some will not. And I, that is, in my opinion, a perfectly healthy response. Um, again, as long as it's contained in, in a respectful way that doesn't violate other people's rights. Good point. Right? Mm -hmm. um, well, there's just an old saying that I latched onto years ago. This is where you know, Confucius says, you know, a great lover is not a man who makes love to a different woman every night. A great lover is a man who can make love to the same woman for a lifetime. I see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what makes really meaningful um, transformational sexual experiences, you know? Um, and I think that the answer there comes when there's a lot of a passion and erotic desire that is contained within a relationship. And so, yeah, what is, what is really good sex? What is um, fulfilling lovemaking? Um, and what is the nature of it? And I don't, This is not the same for everyone. 
Um, and people are going to have very different definitions of this. Um, but I think there's a very different challenge and a very different reward to working on long-term relationships and being able to maintain this tension between intimacy and desire and uh, developing an understanding that they are different and that intimacy can smother desire. And so that, you know, a, a couple in a relationship want to be able to find a way to, to strike some sort of a balance there. Yeah. Is it so that the majority, that, that a lot of the counseling that goes on with a therapist like yourself and couples is about the lack of intimacy and, and eroticism? Well, I don't, I don't find that predominant in my practice, okay. um, but certainly when couples come in and yeah. they are struggling, yes, um, they will be struggling with intimacy, as we've talked about, about being close and being connected. Yes. And certainly, again, the symbolic center of the relationship being the, the sexual relationship, it will be manifest there as well. Mm -hmm. um, and that can happen in many different ways. Yes. Um, but again, I think that we can define a healthy relationship as one that has a healthy degree of intimacy, but also has a healthy degree of, of desire and um, sexual interaction. Yeah. That is pleasing and rewarding to, to the people involved. Right. And that is then often missing when there is a miscommunication, when there is a, a fighting going on, then usually that is one of the first things that will go out the window. Conflict is one of the best ways to, you know, squelch desire. Yes. There's no question about yes. it. Um, there is the phenomenon of makeup sex, and sometimes people actually use conflict to generate sexual ah, encounters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are a lot of, you know, variables here. There's a lot of different aspects that this plays out. Um, but what we've been trying to talk about is this, this difficulty that long-term relationships will run into mm -hmm. and um, how really there is, the relationship does not, I mean, some relationships will just run their course and die out. Yeah, yeah. But relationships can be supported and nurtured by engaging in the process in a certain way. Mm -hmm. I think, a lot of counseling, uh, I think, has has um, erred on the side of focusing on the couple and of focusing um, on the wrong issues. I mean, I think some of the brilliance of Esther Perel's work, Mating in Captivity, is this, this challenge um, that intimacy and connectedness offers to erotic life. Um, so, yeah... Yeah, the couple I, I mentioned earlier, they weren't going to resolve their their conflict by getting on the same financial plan. Mm -hmm. They needed to engage each other emotionally, and in order to do that, they needed to calm down. They needed to get constructive rather than destructive, and they, they needed to find um, a stronger base within themselves to start to hear each other and connect to each other. Do you see as we're talking about this topic at? Where is the uh, – do you see an increased amount of people having issues at a certain age level? Do you say it's – no, it's – it's I see it already happening in the late 20s. Or do you say, you know, a lot of these issues are coming up in the 50s, in the late – mid to late 40s. You get that midlife crisis, uh, hormonal changes in both men and women. Uh, we were putting on some weight uh, – there is the pressure of work, et cetera, et cetera. And, and now with the economy, do you see in, in your experience talking also with other colleagues and, and doing the work um, that there is a certain age level that you see this happening more than others? My experience would be that it is across all age levels. Is it really Th that, that intense? I've worked with couples that in their 20s. 
that were experiencing no desire for one another. Oh. Couples in their 50s. But they still want to work ex- on it. Experiencing that. Yeah. Um, quite often, if, if couples do survive, if they do get, you know, into their 50s and they got together when they were young, very often, um, those people have found success and they may be doing pretty darn well in a lot of areas. Yes. Uh, even much better than the younger couples. Um, so no, I don't find that this is. You mean is sexually or just the way that they're feed up? Sexually on in, the, it, uh, in, on all, the in all ways, but certainly, yes, yeah, sexually. I mean, this idea that, you know, uh, uh, your sex life is, is best when you're in your twenties and thirties. I, I don't think that's how it really turns out to be. Very often, many people will talk about how their sex life became much better in their forties, fifties, and even sixties. Mm-hmm. That, um, yeah, it is a lifespan experience and, yeah. and, it, and it can continue if you have the desire and, and, uh, you're willing to work on it. But no, my experience is not that couples at different ages run into this, but simply that all couples do run into these challenges. Yes. That each relationship will pass through here. Mm-hmm. Very often, okay, my relationship failed because I don't have desire for my partner. Rather than understanding that your relationship will get to the point where your desire will suffer and you, you will find yourself not desiring your partner much. That's true. And the question then becomes, can you work through that? I see. Not that that's the end of the relationship and that it's a problem. It's a part of the, of the, of the healthy, growing up. Yeah. Of the growing up, of the development of the relationship over time. Yeah. My guest is Dana Mikkel. He has his own private practice uh, located on Ellis Street in Bozeman, 1648 Ellis Street, Suite 302. That is uh, the area right across from the Bozeman Deaconess Hospital. And um, you can contact him there at 587-8775, 587-8775. That is, uh, that's an interesting uh, comment that you, that you give here about, uh, yeah, about the relationships. It's, uh, I tell you what, Dana, it's, uh, there is a lot. There is a lot. I mean, this topic is huge because so many thoughts come to mind and I go like, is this a good question to ask? Is this a, this is a good comment? Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, there are so many books written about the topic and so many books written about how to increase intimacy and increase erotic desire. And, and there are plays and, and some people just say, you know, maybe we got to go on a vacation and, and find it over there. They are, uh, there is no, there are so many avenues to improve it. You cannot really say there is a right or a wrong way. It just depends. What what do you feel attracted to to work to spice up your life, so to say? I mean, would I, would it be fair to say spicing up your life is a good way, or is that only one aspect of the whole uh, of the whole uh, topic we're discussing here? Well, I think there there comes a point in time. Well, one of the impasses that um, we've mentioned that a, a healthy relationship will pass through is this impasse of sexual boredom. Yeah, and when you start to deal with that specifically then you can talk about terms of, you know, like spicing it up. Again, that's where sexual, the whole issue of sexual attitudes come in because it may be necessary to broaden one's sexual attitudes in order to alleviate boredom. Right. Um, I mean, it's really a question of some of this process of elimination getting backed away from it. We're, we're entering more things into the what's possible. Yeah. So, yes, at some point. But again... If a couple is at that point where they can sit there and they can look at one another and they can calmly, genuinely engage themselves and, you know, and be able to say to the other, you know, w- without vengefulness or any hatefulness, 
yeah, we really, we're really getting bored. Um, that, yeah, it, but in order to do that, in order to have that genuine heart-to-heart conversation that is going to be creative, you need these two cells mm-hmm. that can that that can engage one another, mm-hmm. that aren't fused, that aren't overly intimate, um, that aren't overly independent, that aren't reliant on the others functioning for their self-worth or their their self-esteem, uh, in order to work through that. Mm-hmm. Again, all the things that they would need to do, to talk about, to engage, to confront. They need certain capabilities in order to do that. And so that's why we've talked about bringing this back to the individual, bringing it back to a sense of self, and that uh, that is just necessary to do the work, to carry through, to work through these these impasses. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And when one can do that, it's amazing. When, when, when that couple, when he was able to drop his financial plan and stop, and calm himself down and listen to her. The, the difference in the room was, it was just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it changed the possibilities. The relationship continued to exist for them because she allowed him to have to express himself for a while. But then all of a sudden she said, that's it because, um, it's just. It, it's too much. We, we don't we don't get past this issue, and that's where I think the problem started. She realized that he was not just expressing his the financial issue; he wouldn't stop talking about it. And all of a sudden, it mean, meant like the relationship was moving in a whole different direction and had lost focus of where it wanted to go. Well, to put it in some of the terms we've talked about today, you know, he was he was externalizing yes. uh, his anxieties. He was reliant on her acceptance of his plan, this reflected self sense. In order, in order to continue, I mean, he was desperate to get it. Um, but when he was able to let go of that, it required of him mm-hmm. a stronger sense of self. It required yes. of him his capacity to bear his anxiety, to be tolerant, if you will, of that difficulty. Yeah. And to be able to do that and, and hear her, mm-hmm. e- even though he didn't want to hear what she had to say. And in a way, he was putting up a wall so that he never did have to hear. Yeah. What she had to say. Yeah. But again, that individual work that needed to be done so that they could create a space mm-hmm. where they could come. It was very interesting. I, I, they, they moved away and then I, I, I got a call from her and a request that we could talk over the phone and, and it was, uh, kind of si- like a three way or a, no, just, just, she her, just want, she just anything. wanted to talk. And it was very interesting because it was, it was a, uh, a, a problem that we had talked about over and over. Uh, that had to do a conflict between them and her family, or, or specifically him and her mom. And it was really interesting because she had fallen into the old pattern of talking to her mom about mm-hmm. the visit because it was so kind of fearful to talk to him about it. I see. And, you know, what what we came to in the work when we talked on the phone was that, well, you need to talk to him. Correct. You need to talk to him about and, and deal with the difficult feelings because he needs to be a part of making the plans for this. The problem has always been he's not part of this. Mm-hmm. But the difficulty was for her to stand strong enough and to be able to go to him and tolerate the uncomfort mm-hmm. of dealing with this situation head on. Mm-hmm. Not having come out sideways, mm-hmm. but deal with it head on to actually bring it up and, and hold that uh, that difficulty between them. And you know, when you can do that, when you can go to your partner, 
you know, and it must have gone well because I didn't get another call, you know. And so I'll, I'll take that as, you know, it was, there was, she was able to work it out. Yeah. I've had this thought as I've been talking this morning that, you know, when you can go to your partner and have that kind of uh, process and you can feel strong enough to, to expose yourself and um, be there with that partner, what could be more sexy than that? You're right. You're right. You and know? you see, we're not talking about whether you went to the gym today or, you know, you know, what size, you know, pants you're fitting into either. Yeah. Uh, I think that, you know, what makes somebody sexy, what creates an erotic space is this very complex web of factors. Yeah. Um, only one of which is really, you know, physical functioning. Yes. And that's also impacted by all these other aspects, these meanings and these values, these histories. Um, and, you know, in our models, what we watched as we grew up, you know, you've mentioned your parents a couple of times, the powerful yeah. influences on, on how we see relationships and how we, we go about being in them. Because we go about being in them in this pattern laid yes. down in the very beginning. Yeah. When we learned how to relate in the first place, which was with our parents, mm -hmm. it is harder and harder these days for young children to uh, uh, to grow up in one family because so many divorces are happening and so many uh, issues are coming up. Whereby parents say, "Well, we just have irreconcilable differences, and we just uh, <laughs> we're going to do it differently." And 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 for a child that is that 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 has a very strong influence on the way that this child is going to look at this relationship and their own relationship with people as the years go by. Uh, they may say, "Well, pff, divorce is easy," or they may say, uh, "No, I I really want to hold on to it." So it's all these circumstances inside our lives and and the way society portrays them that that mold us, make us hopefully make us make us better people in the long run. And I'm just curious how it's going to affect the next generation. Well, you know, because if I look at my my parents' generation and the people that I, the community I grew up in, and looking at how it has changed in one generation, I'm just curious how it's going to change in the next generation by the time the teenagers are going to be adults in our age. My thought is these are very complex questions. For instance, you know, if a child grows up in a family and the parents divorce, yeah. it, is that child more likely to end a relationship or, or work through the difficulties? Correct. Now, it might be that just the example, the model of the parents separating and not working out would cause that, that child to then act the same way. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, there are many other experiences that child may have had. I mean, both of those parents might have continued to be very loving, healthy, strong people mm -hmm. that gave that child a strong sense of self, mm -hmm. a, 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 yeah. know, internally yeah. validated self yeah. that would empower that particular individual to work through a relationship. Mm -hmm. It, you know, it's very complex and I don't think we can, you know, it's, uh, not just, you know, connect the dots sort of thing. No. Um, and I, I do want to, I, I, I know we're coming at the end of the show and I do want to say indeed that, um, Everything you say is so important, and I and I really appreciate uh, everything you you give us. I do want to reiterate with people who missed uh, part of the beginning. One thing that I mentioned was, if you are on medication, specifically cholesterol medication, uh, hormone medications, uh, um, antidepressants, find the information about side effects. If indeed lack of intimacy, uh, uh, erectile dysfunction, things of that nature are part of the side effects because then you do need to talk to your physician and and see if there is other options for you but dana thank you so much for being here today great great information very very important jacobus thank you for having me thank yeah. you very much all right folks we will be back next week saturday see you then